We're going to be looking in Psalm 33 today. Psalm 33 for our scripture reading. Psalm 33. A message I call, Sing a New Song. Sing a New Song. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. I've been looking recently at a lot of the passages in Scripture that talk about how we are to sing unto God. And if you just type in sing in your Bible program, you're going to see literally hundreds of references to sing and singing uh, all throughout the Scriptures. Uh, I don't claim to be Barry Manilow today, but I've got a lot of music in me. I wouldn't say I, I, I am music. Uh, a lot of y'all don't remember Barry Manilow, do you? <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm music like he did, but I do have a lot of music in me. I do. I love singing, and uh, I think you know that by now. And uh, music and singing is a big part of my life. I can't imagine life and living uh, without a song in my soul. It's just part of who I am, and I think it's a part of who most of us are. And here in this scripture, we're told to sing a new song. If you look up new song uh, in a Bible program, you're going to find that there were nine references, including this one in the King James Version, to singing a new song. Therefore, it is fitting for me to point out to us today and remind us that singing a new song is okay because the Bible tells us nine times to sing a new song. It's a good time to remind ourselves that every song that we know was new at one time. Every song that we know was new to us at one time. And so new songs are good. And somebody said, well, you know, I don't, I don't like that song. Well, let's remind ourselves today that we're also told to sing a new song unto the Lord. Now, if you sing a song that you don't like, that would be a catastrophe if you were singing to yourself. Amen. But, you know, you're singing to the Lord. And as long as the Lord likes it, uh, then we have accomplished our objective. We sing to the Lord then. And we can sing to the Lord a new song. God tells us that we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so if our heart is right and we are singing music that is true and biblical and right, then we are indeed pleasing the Lord. And we can claim this glorious passage that tells us the praise of the upright is Beautiful. I don't mind telling you, I love what goes on inside this building when we come together and lift our voices in praise unto Almighty God. I love when our choir sings. I miss our choir. I do. That doesn't mean that I don't love what our praise team does because I love that. That's what we can do right now, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, because there's been times when we didn't even have that. So we're thankful for that, but we miss it. It is a wonderful, glorious thing when God's people come together and sing praises to Almighty God, not the least of which being that God Himself has promised to be here with us when we do it, and He is. 
We sense that. We sense it down into the very depths of our soul that God is here and we are singing our praises to him. Now, the song that the psalmist has composed for the occasion of Psalm 33 was indeed a public worship song. The upright people of God, the righteous people of God are singing praises. Added to their voices is the sound of the harp and the ten-stringed instrument, probably not a ten-string guitar or a twelve-string or whatever those are. Uh, but I, I picture something like that, some kind of a stringed instrument. And he calls on them to play skillfully and joyfully. Other songs may have had a slow tempo and be composed in a minor key. But this one wasn't one of those. This was a song of joy and of praise. And in fact, he even count, calls them to shout joyfully. Uh, some songs just have a good old shout. You say, well, I can't carry a tune. That's okay. If you've got a shout in you, you need to let it out every now and then. I believe in that. Uh, you can ask my neighbors. <laughs> every now and then, I walk out in the backyard and just let a shout out. I mean, how can you look at the glorious things of God and see the beauty of the sunrise, the sunset? And no, I don't shout very often at 5 o'clock in the morning. But I did say very often. Occasionally I do that too. And Nancy always fusses at me. Uh, but it does happen. Sometimes we let out a shout of joy unto Almighty God. I have no idea what it was like when the Hebrews gathered together on the Temple Mountain there in Jerusalem with thousands of God's people gathered there and they just lit up the hillside with their praise to God. I have no idea what this song sounded like. Uh, I, I don't know what the melody was. Uh, but I know what it is. It is a song of praise unto God. You know, we do our best with what we have. For those of you listening from at home to make our music sound as good as it had, but I can tell you, I, I learned and I've watched enough of our videos and to see what you're seeing at home uh, is not even a smidgen. It doesn't hold a candle to what you're hearing here when we gather together. And if we had several hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment, a lot of professionals running around here, we might be able to duplicate what we have here and make it sound better out there to you. Uh, but for now, all I can tell you, if you want to hear the real thing, you've just about got to come here. That's about all I can tell you. And, uh, and I hope someday we'll all have the liberty and, and you'll feel that liberty to come and to enjoy it. But for now, we're doing the best we can that there is a wonderful and powerful thing. It is beautiful when God's people, the righteous, the upright, come together and they sing skillfully and joyfully and Almighty God. Now the praise that we are to lift up to God in Psalm 33 takes on a couple of different perspectives that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, we are to praise God for His Word and work. Those are together. His Word and work. Remember that. I'll, I'll go back to it in just a moment. His Word and work. Psalm 33 and 4. For the Word of the Lord is right and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Almighty God. Yes, the earth is full of the goodness of God. But the psalmist makes an incredible declaration for us today. The word of the Lord is right. 
The truth of Scripture is under incredible attack in our culture today. It has been. That's not anything new. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, the cancel culture that's going on around all the world today, I, I can't even imagine if they had enough familiarity with the Scripture uh, that they could actually walk around in Washington and see how much of the Word of God is plastered on uh, monuments and buildings all over that city. If you've been to Washington, you've seen it. Word of God, Bible verses are everywhere. We can only imagine when they're going to get the sandblasters out and start taking all those things off. But I assure you, if they have their way, they will. Why? Because the Word of God is under attack. But much more than I'm concerned about him taking it away from memorials and things like that, I'm concerned about how they are taking it away from the hearts and minds of God's people and out of our conversations in the public life. Word of God is under terrible, tremendous attack today. It is. It is. But against it all, I hold up to you the words of the psalmist from this new song that's Centuries old now. He said the word of the Lord is right. The word of the Lord is right. The Bible is true and dependable. Not only then does he tell us that the word of God is right, but then he goes on and says that God's work is also true. His work is done in truth. His word and his work are put together. There is no incongruency between what God says and what He does. No separation. All of us, if we were honest, I think, could admit that there have been times when we've said one thing and done something else. I'll admit I've told my kids, you know, you've got to watch that speed limit. Don't you call them, don't you? I've done that, and then I've got a ticket. Yes, that, that has happened. I said one thing, but I did something else. And there's a lot of times it's a lot more serious than just obeying the traffic laws or the speed limit signs. There are a lot of areas in life where we say one thing and maybe we've got really good intentions. We intend to, we intend to follow through on it, but in spite of our very best efforts, we fall short. We've said one thing, but we've done something else. God never does that. God says it and God does it. There is never any separation between his word, what he says, and his work, what he does. His word is right and his work is true. It is absolutely dependable. He is absolutely trustworthy. He will never go back on himself, not one single time. God's word is right and his work is truth. Hundreds of generations then have lived and died trusting in the Word of God. No wonder, because His Word is right. Hundreds of generations have lived and died believing in the work of God. But it's all going to come down to the reliability of Scripture, the trustworthiness of the Word of God. You know, much of the evil that was done in the past in the name of Christianity was done in a time when the Bible was suppressed. And unfortunately, if you can imagine it, listen, don't, you don't have to take my word for it, look it up. When it was being suppressed, when the Bible was being withheld from God's people, it was religious people who claimed to be Christians who were keeping people from having the Bible. See, when you don't have a Bible, then you're just dependent on knowing uh, what somebody else tells you to do. That's all you know. And much of the evil in history that was done in the name of Christianity, in the name of God, was done 
And people had no access to the Word of God. We do not have that excuse today, brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't. We have incredible access to the Word of God. And therefore, we can study it and we can learn it and see over and over again that what God says is right and what God does is true. Now, the song focuses on two aspects of God's Word and work. And firstly, he talks about God's work, uh, word and work in creation. Verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He begins with the creation of the heavens. And it makes me wonder if, this, wonder if this shepherd king wasn't remembering some time when he was leading the sheep, maybe staying out in, in the darkness in the country and away from all those man-made light distractions. When the stars shine so brilliantly and the moon is just lighting up the world all around you. And if you've ever been out in, in the dark night with no lights around you anywhere, out in the country, far removed, then you know what I'm talking about. I wonder if maybe the psalmist wasn't thinking about that when he talked about how that God, by the word of the Lord, by his word, he spoke, and the whole heavens and all the stars of the heavens all simply became. You know, we know so much more about the heavens today than the psalmist did. Almost every day brings some new revelation about it. Science is still struggling to explain the con complex orbit that holds the stars in the courses of the galaxies. We know, we see those pictures of the galaxies spinning around the stars, all following that precise orbit. And I've told you before, all of you here, you've heard me preach about this before, but we've got an audience at home, I'll tell you now too. That science knows that there is not enough gravitational influence. The stars are too far apart from one another in order to hold each other in their course. We can understand why the planets are able to circuit the moon, why the, earth, the, the moon is able to circuit the earth and the planets circle the sun. We know it. It's a gravitational pull. But the stars are far too far apart to be able to influence each other in that way. They have no way of understanding that. Then in the 1990s, they hit another big mystery because the universe is actually expanding and it is speeding up as it expands. That was a, an amazing discovery for them to make. It was in the 1990s when they proved it. Uh, the universe is expanding and it's actually speeding up. That's impossible. If you've ever shot a firearm or seen somebody do it, maybe drew a bow and shot it or throw a baseball. When you turn it loose, the moment that you throw that baseball loose, it's going as fast as it's ever going to go. From the minute you throw it loose, turn it loose, it starts to slow down. The minute a bullet is fired, it starts to slow down. Air a shot slows down. Why? It's the pull of gravity. So the universe has to be slowing down. <laughs> Only it's not slowing down. It's speeding up. That's impossible. And so they've determined, science has, that there's some force out there. You can't see it. In fact, they call it dark matter, dark energy. 
They don't know what it is. They can't explain it. They don't know how it operates. It's a matter that's not like any other matter that we could describe. It has no physical tendencies that we can understand. It's an energy that's not like any other kind of energy. And yet 95% of the universe, they say, is made up of dark matter and dark energy. Now, forgive me for just being simplistic. (laughs) But you know, the psalmist said a long time ago that God spoke and the universe became. And he holds it then by the word of his power. It stands fast. That is, it is established. It is given stability or order or structure by the word of God and by the work of God. It is the power of Almighty God. And the power of Almighty God does not subscribe itself to the limitations of the physical universe as we understand it. I'm perfectly simple. I understand that. I might not be scientific. I I understand that. But I find it rather odd that science believes with a straight face that 95% of the matter and energy in the universe is something they can't see, they can't explain, they can't find it, and it contradicts all the long-known laws of science. But they believe it. Why? Because it has to be. Because to them, the alternative is unthinkable. It's not unthinkable to me. The alternative is that God spoke it. That God then causes it to consist by the word of his power. No wonder the psalmist says in verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. That's why science cannot allow itself to consider the existence of God, though it can consider the existence of something else that it can't see and something else that's powerful that they can't explain, but can't be God. Why? Because if it's God, you have to fear God. And you must hold Him in awe. The psalmist knew that. The world does as well. And so when we talk about the word and work of God for which we are to praise him, he immediately talks about his creative work in the heavens and the earth. But then he also talks about his ongoing counsel work, his creative work, but also his counsel work. Look at him in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The NIV translates verse 10 and 11 this way. The Lord foils the plans of the nation. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generation. I believe today that God has a plan for the United States of America. I can echo the words that were spoken long ago by none other than George Washington himself in his 1789 inaugural address. He said this, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. George Washington. Now, I'm not going to tell you today that George Washington was a Christian. Number one, I can't tell you that you're a Christian. I mean, I can't see in anybody's heart. 
I know historically, I know from reading their testimony that most of the founding fathers were deists. They were not necessarily Christians. They did believe in, in some, something. And, but Washington certainly recognized that there was an invisible hand, a providential agency that seemed to have favored the United States. <laughs> Why was that? Because George Washington was a pretty smart fellow. He knew that there was not a chance in the world that fledgling colonies could overcome the most powerful nation in the world. But we did. He had stood in battle and seen them win against all odds again and again and again. And as he looked at it all and he contemplated it, he said throughout this all it seems that we have been guided by an invisible hand of providence. I agree with it. I believe our nation was indeed guided by the providential hand of Almighty God. That he brought our nation into existence for a reason. And at least part of that reason had to do with the establishment of the nation of Israel. And the fact that we stood with them and recognized them. And to this day, continue to stand for Israel and stand against their adversaries. Now, uh, that has certainly caused us as a nation to have a, a lot of opposition. Israel has had a lot of opposition, has had it all along throughout all of her history. And we should be able simply to look in this passage and recognize that if God has a plan for this nation, then there will be other nations who would stand against His plan. If God intends to bless this nation, then there would be other nations who would curse this nation. If God intends to providentially favor this nation, then there will be other nations who will do everything they can, they could, uh, to try to stop that. And that has happened again and again and again. You say, well, the United States is in terrible times today. We've always been in tough times. From the time of our birth until literally right now, we have gone through all kinds of difficulties Yes, we have indeed gone through many dangers, toils, and snares. I believe that God has a plan for our nation. I believe that God has a plan for all nations. But I also believe that God's plan goes beyond our nation. I, I, I have no way of guaranteeing you that our nation will stand until Jesus comes. I can't, I can't make that promise. Our nation may very well fall. But if it falls, listen, God has a plan for the world that goes beyond our nation. You understand that. I believe that He has planned for our nation, but He has also planned beyond our nation. And against all of that, though, this morning I can simply recite the words of Psalm 33. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Our flag, our Pledge of Allegiance, our national anthem has been another matter of, of battleground, fighting, opposition. It's everywhere today. When we stand and put our hands over our heart and say, one nation under God, God hears it. And I can then respond and say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Whenever I reach in my wallet and pull out uh, a, a, a bill of any kind, it's going to tell us, in God 
we trust. And God, we trust. We still have these things around. I can't speak for everybody. I, I can't speak for all of the millions of people in our country. But when I stand and put my hand on my heart and pledge my allegiance to that flag and to, that, and to, the, to this country, when I put my hand over my heart and say one nation under God, I mean exactly that. I am declaring in my mind the truth of this passage. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I, I'll never turn, turn away from that. I won't. I won't. Not, not as long as, as I live, I, I won't. God then is to be praised for His Word and work. His Word in creation and His Word in counsel. His counsel, His purpose, He plans then for nations and though other nations might counsel against it, it is the counsel of God that's going to stand. God has worked in the creation and what he has done uh, declares his praises. And it does so constantly, day by day in every language, his word and his work. Last thing then that the psalmist describes in this passage is his watch care over us. Verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. The Lord is watching. He sees everything that's being done. He knows what's in the hearts of people because He formed those hearts. He knows what people are doing because He gives us the ability and the opportunity to do whatever it is that we do. And out of this, then, the psalmist makes a couple of quick applications. We'll notice in just a moment. First of all, God protects a nation against their enemy. No kings, verse 16, is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. The horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Military might, the psalmist says, is a vain hope for safety or deliverance for any nation. God is the one who protects us. Then God works on behalf. Remember, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. God works on behalf then of the nation that meets his conditions. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. That's number one. On those who hope in his mercy. Why? Because no nation has ever been or will ever be perfect. Ours included. No person is perfect. No people are perfect. And therefore, we will always be dependent on the mercies of God if we're to ever experience the blessings of God on a personal level or on a national level. It will be on the basis of His mercy because when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We hope then in His mercy. And then God promises to deliver our soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I, I'll have to be honest with you today, I'd a whole lot rather this passage said that God would keep us alive in pestilence because quite frankly, I'm covered for a famine for a couple of months. <laughs> famine don't really scare me all that much. Now some of you folks, you, you know, y'all will be in trouble after a week or two, but I, I could make it, I think, for a month or two. You understand what I mean? Y'all don't think you can. Let me tell you something, you can I've got plenty stored up for a while for a famine. Uh, we could make it for a little bit till at least the trucks start running or somebody's garden come in or I'm able to get out and kill something and eat. You know, we, we can, we can, we're country folk. We know how to survive. We can. 
I'd be a lot more comfortable if this passage was talking about how that God would deliver us from pestilence. But you know what? Uh, the truth is, we can be very, very thankful for the blessings we have. Every one of us uh, probably throw food away every week that we've let go bad in our refrigerator. Yeah, I tell you, my refrigerator's growing that penicillin, I guarantee you, right now. Something in there. I won't find it for a day or two yet. Y'all's does too. We throw away food every week that we let go bad. Shame on us, but we do. But it is the blessings of God then that have provided this bounty for us and has blessed us and that God has promised then to keep us alive in famine. When we fear God, when we are seeking His mercy, then God becomes, verse 20, our help and our shield. Because, he says, verse 21, we have trusted in His holy name. Therefore, he says, let your mercy be upon us, just as we hope in you. Mercy, hope, trust, believing, fearing God. All of these things are the qualifications by which we can then say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I can say to all of you here today and to all of you watching from home, and I've said it before, if, but I'll say it again today. If you're not worried about what hap what's happening in our nation today, if you're not concerned, about what you're seeing going on in our nation. I don't know what will get your attention. There's plenty happening in our nation and around the world that should have our eyes on Almighty God. What I will say to you today is that in the midst of it all, God calls us to sing a song of praise to Him. There are times, I'll admit to you, when I get the mully grubs, and those of you who read my daily email, you'll probably note it every now and then. You know, I'm just down the dumps. I try my best to keep from letting it out, but it just comes out any way you can. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said the mouth speaks. And if you read that, you say, you know, I think Brother Rich is probably struggling a little bit. I probably am. Sometimes I get the mully grubs. Everything looks bad. But you know what God tells us to do? Sing a song of praise to God. And the worst day that I ever have and the worst day that you ever have, the worst situations that we'll ever face in this country and nation, personally in our family, as God's people, we have a song to sing, a song of praise to God. Why? Because His Word and His work are always together. He is always right and He always does the truth. Always, always our God is reliable. And He blesses us. He fills the earth with His goodness. And we can praise Him for it. We can praise Him then. Because our nation, our, 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 because God is the God of our nation. Now, you say, well, there's so many in our nation that aren't Christians. I understand more than ever before. But we can say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And that is my testimony. I hope it's yours. As for me and my house. God's always been in the remnant business. 
And let's not forget that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if he could have found ten righteous people. Let's make sure if me and my house serve the Lord, let's make sure. Some of you might have to recruit a little bit. I got that many. Let's make sure that for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord.